Part Two of Sarah Crew, or What Happened at Miss Minchin's Boarding School, by Frances Hodgins Barnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Faith R. Sarah Crew by Frances Hodgins Barnett. Part Two. From the day her life changed entirely. Sometimes she used to feel as if it must be another life altogether, the life of some other child. She was a little drudge and outcast. She was given her lessons at odd times and expected to learn without being taught. She was sent on errands by Miss Minchin, Miss Amelia, and the cook. Nobody took any notice of her except when they ordered her about. She was often kept busy all day and then sent into the deserted schoolroom with a pile of books to learn lessons or practice at night. She had never been intimate with the other pupils, and soon she became so shabby that taking her queer clothes together with her queer little ways, they began to look upon her as a being of another world than their own. The fact was that, as a rule, Miss Minchin's pupils were rather dull, matter-of-fact young people, accustomed to being rich and comfortable, and Sarah, with her elfish cleverness, her desolate life, and her odd habit of fixing her eyes upon them and staring them out of countenance, was too much for them. "'She always looks as if she was finding you out,' said one girl, who was slyly and given to making mischief. "'I am,' said Sarah promptly, when she heard of it. "'That's what I look at them for. I like to know about people. I think them over afterward.' She never made any mischief herself or interfered with anyone. She talked very little, did as she was told, and thought a great deal. Nobody knew, and in fact nobody cared, whether she was happy or unhappy, unless perhaps it was Emily, who lived in the attic and slept on the iron bedstead at night. Sarah thought Emily understood her feelings, though she was only wax and had a habit of staring herself. Sarah used to talk to her at night. "'You are the only friend I have in the world,' she would say to her. "'Why don't you say something? Why don't you speak? "'Sometimes I'm sure if you could, you if you would try. "'It ought to make you try, to know, you are the only thing I have. "'If I were you, I should try. Why don't you try?' "'It really was a very strange feeling she had about Emily. "'It arose from her being so desolate.' She did not like to own to herself that her only friend, her only companion, could feel and hear nothing. She wanted to believe, or to pretend to believe, that Emily understood and sympathized with her, that she heard her even though she did not speak in answer. She used to put her in the chair sometimes and sit opposite to her on the old red footstool and stare at her and think and pretend about her until her own eyes would grow large with something which was almost like fear, particularly at night when the garret was so still, when the only sound that was to be heard was the occasional squeak and scurry of rats in the wainscoat. There were rat holes in the garret, and Sarah detested rats and was always glad Emily was with her when she heard their hateful squeak and rush and scratching. One of her pretends was that Emily was a kind of good witch and could protect her. Poor little Sarah! Everything was pretend with her. She had a strong imagination. There was almost more imagination than there was Sarah, and her whole forlorn, uncared-for child life 
was made up of imaginings. She imagined and pretended things until she almost believed them. And she would scarcely have been surprised at any remarkable thing that could have happened. So she insisted to herself that Emily understood all about her troubles and really was her friend. As to answering, she used to say, I don't answer very often. I never answer when I can help it. When people are insulting you, there is nothing so good for them as not to say a word, just to look at them and think. Miss Minchin turns pale with rage when I do it. Miss Amelia looks frightened. So do the girls. They know you are stronger than they are, because you are strong enough to hold in your rage, and they are not, and they say stupid things they wish they hadn't said afterward. There's nothing so strong as rage, except what makes you hold it in. That's stronger. It's a good thing not to answer your enemies. I scarcely ever do. Perhaps Emily is more like me than I am like myself. Perhaps she would rather not answer her friends, even. She keeps it all in her heart. But though she tried to satisfy herself with these arguments, Sarah did not find it easy. When, after a long, hard day in which she had been sent here and there, sometimes on long errands, through wind and cold and rain, and when she came in wet and hungry, had been sent out again, because nobody chose to remember that she was only a child, and that her thin little legs might be tired, and her small body clad in its forlorn, too small finery, all too short and all too tight, might be chilled, when she had been given only harsh words and cold, slightly looking for thanks when the cook had been vulgar and insolent, and when Miss Minchin had been in her worst moods, and when she had seen the girls sneering at her amongst themselves, making fun of her poor outgrown clothes, then Sarah did not find Emily quite at all that sore, proud, desolate little heart needed, as the doll sat in her old chair and stared. One of these nights, when she came up to the garret cold, hungry, tired, and with a tempest raging in her small breast, Emily's stare seemed so vacant, her sawdust legs and arms so limp and impressive. Then Sarah lost all control over herself. "'I shall die presently,' she said at first. Emily stared. "'I can't bear this,' said the poor child, trembling. "'I know I shall die. I'm cold. I'm wet. I'm starving to death. I've walked a thousand miles to-day.' and they've done nothing but scold me from morning until night. And because I could not find the last thing they sent me for, they would not give me any supper. Some men laughed at me because my old shoes made me slip down in the mud. I'm covered in mud now. And they laughed. Do you hear? She looked at the staring glass eyes and complacent wax face, and suddenly a sort of heartbroken rage seized her. She lifted her savage hand and knocked Emily off the chair, bursting into a passion of sobbing. "'You're nothing but a doll,' she cried. "'Nothing but a doll, doll, doll. You care for nothing. You're stuffed with sawdust. You never had a heart. Nothing could ever make you feel. You are a doll.' Emily lay upon the floor with her legs ignominiously doubled up over her head, and a new flat place on the end of her nose. But she was still calm, even dignified. Sarah hid her face on her arm and sobbed. 
some rats in the wall began to fight and bite at each other and squeak and scramble but as i have already intimidated sarah was not in the habit of crying after a while she stopped and when she stopped she looked at emily who seemed to be gazing at her around the side of one ankle and actually with a kind of glassy-eyed sympathy sarah bent and picked her up remorse overtook her you can't help being a doll she said with a resigned sigh any more than those girls downstairs can help not having any sense we are not all alike perhaps you do your sawdust best none of miss minchin's young ladies were very remarkable for being brilliant they were select but some of them were very dull and some of them were fond of applying themselves to their lessons sarah who snatched her lessons at all sorts of untimely hours from tattered and discarded books and who had a hungry craving for everything readable was often severe upon them in her small mind they had books they had never read she had no books at all if she had always had something to read she would not have been so lonely she liked romances and history and poetry she would read anything there was a sentimental housemaid in the establishment who bought the weekly penny papers and subscribed to a circulating library from which she got greasy volumes containing stories of marquises and dukes who invariably fell in love and orange girls and gypsies and servants maids and made them the proud brides of coronets and sarah often did parts of this maid's work so that she might earn the privilege of reading these romantic histories there was also a fat dull pupil whose name was ermengarde st john who was one of her resources ermengarde had an intellectual father who in his despising desire to encourage his daughter constantly sent her valuable and interesting books which were a continental source of grief to her sarah had once actually found her crying over a big package of them what is the matter with you she asked her per perhaps rather disdainfully and it is possible she would not have spoken to her if she had not seen the books the sight of the books always gave sarah a hungry feeling and she could not help drawing near to them if only to read their titles what is the matter with you she asked my papa has sent me some more books answered ermengarde woefully and he expects me to read them don't you like reading said sarah i hate it replied miss ermengarde st john and he will ask me questions when he sees me he'll want to know how much i remember how would you like to have to read all those i'd like it better than anything else in the world said sarah ermengarde wiped her eyes to look at such a prodigy oh gracious she exclaimed sarah returned the look with interest a sudden plan formed itself in her sharp mind look here she said if you'll lend me those books i'll read them and tell you everything that's in them afterward and i'll tell it to you so that you will remember it i know i can the a b c children always remember what i tell them oh goodness said ermengarde do you think you could i know i could said sarah i like to read and i always remember i'll take care of the books too they will look just as new as they do now when i give them back to you ermengarde put her handkerchief in her pocket if you'll do that she said 
and if you'll make me remember, I'll give you, I'll give you some money. I don't want your money, said Sarah. I want your books. I want them. And her eyes grew big and queer, and her chest heaved once. Take them, then, said Ermengarde. I wish I wanted them, but I am not clever, and my father is, and he thinks I ought to be. Sarah picked up the books and marched off with them, but when she was at the door she stopped and turned around. "'What are you going to tell your father?' she asked. "'Oh,' said Ermengarde, "'he needn't know. He'll think I've read them.' Sarah looked down at the books. Her heart really began to beat fast. "'I won't do it,' she said rather slowly. "'If you're going to tell him lies about it, I don't like lies.' Why can't you tell him I read them and then told you about them? But he wants me to read them, said Ermengarde. He wants you to know what is in them, said Sarah. And if I can tell it to you in an easy way and make you remember, I think he would like that. He would like it better if I read them myself, replied Ermengarde. He will like it, I dare say, if you learn anything in any way, said Sarah. I should, if I were your father. And though this was not a flattering way of stating the case, Ermengarde was obliged to admit it was true, and after a little more argument gave in. And so she used afterward always to hand over her books to Sarah, and Sarah would carry them to her garret and devour them, and after she had read each volume she would return it and tell Ermengarde about it in a way of her own. She had a gift for making things interesting, her imagination helped her to make everything rather like a story, and she managed this matter so well that Miss St. John gained more information from her books than she would have gained if she had read them three times over by her poor stupid little self. When Sarah sat down by her and began to tell her some story of travel or history, she made the travelers and historical people seem real, and Ermengarde used to sit and regard her dramatic gesticulations her thin little flushed cheeks and her shining odd eyes with amazement it sounds nicer than it seems in the book she would say i never cared about mary queen of scots before and i always hated the french revolution but you make it seem like a story it is a story sarah would answer they are all stories everything is a story everything in this world you are a story i am a story miss minchin is a story you can make a story out of anything. I can't, said Ermengarde. Sarah stared at her a minute reflectively. No, she said at last. I suppose you couldn't. You're a little like Emily. Who is Emily? Sarah recollected herself. She knew she was sometimes rather impolite in the candor of her remarks, and she did not want to be impolite to a girl who was not unkind, only stupid notwithstanding all her sharp little ways she had the sense to wish to just be just to everybody in the hours she spent alone she used to argue out a great many curious questions with herself one thing she had decided upon was that a person who was clever ought to be clever enough not to be unjust or deliberately unkind to anyone miss minchin was unjust and cruel miss amelia was unkind and spiteful the cook was malicious and hasty-tempered. They were all stupid, and made her despise them, and she desired to be as unlike them as possible. 
so she would be as polite as she could to people who in the least deserved politeness emily is a person i know she replied do you like her asked ermengarde yes i do said sarah ermengarde examined her queer little face and figure again she did look odd she had on that day a faded blue plush skirt which barely covered her knees a brown cloth sack and a pair of olive-green stockings which miss minchin had made her piece out with the black ones so that they would be long enough to be kept on and yet ermengarde was beginning slowly to admire her such a forlorn thin neglected little thing as that who could read and read and remember and tell you things so that they did not tire you out a child who knew who could speak french and who had learned german no one knew how one could not help staring at her and feeling interested particularly one to whom the simplest lesson was a trouble and a woe do you like me said ermengarde finally at the end of her scrutiny sarah hesitated one second then she answered i like you because you're not ill-natured i like you for letting me read your books i like you because you don't make spiteful fun of me for what i can't help it's not your fault that she pulled herself up quickly she had been going to say that you are stupid that what asked ermengarde that you can't learn things quickly if you can't you can't if i can why i can that's all she paused a minute looking at the plump face before her and then rather slowly one of her wise old-fashioned thoughts came to her perhaps she said to be able to learn things quickly isn't everything to be kind is worth a good deal to other people if Minch miss minchin knew everything on earth which she doesn't and if she was like what she is now she'd still be a detestable thing and everybody would hate her lots of clever people have done harm and been wicked look at robespierre she stopped again and examined her companion's countenance do you remember about him she demanded i believe you've forgotten well i don't remember all of it admitted ermengarde well said sarah with courage and determination i'll tell it to you over again and she plunged once more into the gory records of the french revolution and told such stories of it and made such vivid pictures of its horrors that miss st john was afraid to go to bed afterward and hid her head under the blankets when she did go and shivered until she fell asleep but afterward she preserved lively recollections of the character of robespierre and did not even forget marie antoinette and the princess de Lamballe. you know they put her head on a pike and danced around it sarah had said she had beautiful blonde hair and when i think of her i never see her head on her body but always on a pike with those furious people dancing and howling yes it was true to this imaginative child everything was a story and the more books she read the more imaginative she became one of her chief entertainments was to sit in her garret or walk about it and suppose things on a cold night when she had not had enough to eat she would draw the red footstool up before the empty grate and say in the most intense voice 
suppose there was a great wide steel grate here and a great glowing fire a glowing fire with beds of red-hot coals and lots of little dancing flickering flames suppose there was a soft deep rug and this was a comfortable chair all cushions and crimson velvet and suppose i had a crimson velvet frock on and a deep lace collar like a child in a picture and suppose all the rest of the room was furnished in lovely colors and there were bookshelves full of books which changed by magic as soon as you had read them and suppose there was a little table here with a snow-white cover on it and little silver dishes and in one there was hot hot soup and in another roast chicken and in another some raspberry jam tarts with criss-cross on them and another some grapes and suppose emily could speak and we could sit and eat our supper and then talk and read and then suppose there was a warm soft bed in the corner and when we were tired we could go to sleep and sleep as long as we liked end of part two